Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. It's not just knowing about the doctrine in the Bible. That is not what we stand for here. Streaming powerful biblically based messages live and out. This congregation may never be gathered together again as we see it. Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. Good evening. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. We are streaming live down the internet from London. This show is dedicated to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. On tonight's show, we will discuss the subject, the first angel's message. We will be studying what the Bible teaches. Our guest speaker is based in Warwickshire, in Northwest England. More about our guest after you've heard some music. Yeah. 
First Angel's Message We will discuss this subject tonight with Elder Chris Sweeney. Have a pen and paper ready to write down some notes. Let's now call Elder Chris and see if he's available. Hello. Hello. Good evening, Elder Chris. You are live. Oh, hi, John. You are live on Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. How are you this evening? Ah, uh, very well, very well. Thank you for the invitation. Fine. Praise the Lord. Well, Elder Chris, tonight we will be discussing these questions together. What does the symbol of an angel mean in the Bible prophecy? What is the everlasting gospel? What does it mean to fear God? What does it mean to give glory to God? And what does it mean that the hour of God's judgment has come? So, Elder Chris, before we start our discussion this evening, shall we have a word of prayer? Do you mind praying this evening for the discussion? Okay. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to share your message, to talk of your wondrous love, and talk about the importance of Bible study and understanding the truth especially in these days in which we are living. We pray we might have a clear understanding of the gospel and our duty before you in preparation to receive Jesus when he comes. Be with the listeners and be with us all as we search deeply into the word of God and address these questions that um, we might have a better understanding of you and your love toward us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Elder Chris, What does the symbol of an angel mean in the Bible prophecy? Well, John, the closing work of the Gospels represented prophecies being accomplished by three angels with an important message of present truth for mankind. So angels uh, in this uh, scripture that we'll be studying now symbolizes messengers who proclaim the message entrusted to them. Now, if we turn to um, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, Yes. Um, we can get an understanding of um, the meaning of the symbolic, the symbol used in angels in this um, this um, scripture passage. And if we turn there, the Bible says, "Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them, uh, the heirs of salvation?" So the Greek word "ministering" or "anglos" can be translated as angel, messenger or even pastor, and it refers to being in service to others. So we see that the word angel is symbolic or applied to human messengers. Right. And in the book of Revelation, 
you know, John in the first book of Revelation, um, John receives a vision of Jesus standing among the seven golden lampstands in his hands. Here we have another symbol, but Jesus is seen to be holding seven stars. And this is in Revelation 1, 13, 16. And, and then we have verse 20, which gives us a meaning. And it's explained, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands is this. And then he goes on to interpret the symbol. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So the lampstand is symbolic of the seven churches of Asia Minor. And a lampstand gives light. God's people are called to be light bearers. You know, so we, look, we turn to, you know, Matthew 5, 14. Um, we are called to be what? The light of the world. Um, Philippians 2, 15. We are seen as lights in the world. Um, and we know that in John one night, Jesus is the true light. So what we see here is in this vision that John receives. We see Jesus standing among the churches, the lampstands, that light that radiates from him comes to the churches. So the angel of each church is symbolic of ministers heralding of God's truth to the world. Yes. Yes. Now, Elder Chris, um, I'd like to um, to... Add to this, if we can go to Matthew mm -hmm. chapter ten, verses forty-three okay. to forty-four. This is just to add what Elder, to what Elder Chris is stating. Listeners, is a Bible text that explains what it means to minister. You see, Amen. so Matthew chapter ten, verses forty-three to forty-four. Yes, and set me know when you're there, please, Elder Chris. Uh, Matthew chapter 10. Yes, verse 33, verse 43, sorry, to 44. Excuse me, 43 to 44. 43 to 44. Yes. Okay. And you said Matthew 10. Cause, yes, um, that's right. Yes. I'm in Matthew 10 now. Okay. Right. Okay. And it says, But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. See? Parallel language, Amen. minister, servant. Thus to minister is to serve. So this is Amen. what Elder Chris is saying, that the angel in his prophecy is symbolic of those who are sent forth by God to serve. Those, all who are to be hearers of salvation. You see? Amen. So, Elder Chris, carry on, please, if you've got anything more to so, say. And Yes, if we add to what John just said, his point of we're called to minister, to serve, to be fellow servants. And if you look at... Um, on this point, Revelation 19.10. Yes. Um, in Revelation 19.10, John receives a message by God through an angel. And this is very important because we need to understand in this day and age, a lot of people are continuing to worship angels. We see this in many uh, religions. Yes. And John is warned in uh, Revelation 19.10. Let me just read that. Yes, Let's sure. read that scripture here. In Revelation 19.10, uh, we read... And I fell at his feet to worship him. So John falls at his feet to worship this angel. Yes, and right. he said, he said unto me, see thou do it not. I am, and like you said um, uh, just earlier in your point, a fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus and worship, um, worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
Now, if we go to Revelation 22, yes. 9, another interpretation adds more to the scripture. And John is receiving the truth of the book of prophecy and falls down again to worship the angel, but was told again not to do so. Then saith he, and this is what the scriptures say, See that do it not, for I am thy fellow servant. Notice that word again, fellow servant. Yes. And thy brethren, the prophets, and them, and look at this. This brings all, not only the prophets, the angels, and also those who are called into this wonderful message of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. So John was given a vision that the events were to transpire, you know, transpire before the coming of the Lord. He was told in verse 7, Behold, I come quickly, and here's the blessing. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of this prophecy of this book. Not only are we to keep it, but we're like you said, um, uh, John, to share it. To be yes. co-laborers with God and bringing this message to the world. Yes. So when John says, I saw an angel in the midst of heaven, he sees the, uh, the spread of this message that's to prepare a people for the coming of Jesus. Okay. And that angel is symbolic to this. Right. Okay. Elder Chris, well, I think that answers that question. Could any for the people? Let's now look at what is the everlasting gospel. Okay. And John, as we previously indicated that, heaven has sent a message symbolized by these three angels flying in the midst of heaven yes we have in the three angels message first a worldwide message and two it's a new message it's a message not a new message but it's an old message but a message that's specific to the generation that is living at the time of the end before the coming of jesus christ now in each particular age some special emphasis has been given to some particular phase of the gospel. Now, in this last generation, the great burden of the gospel is to herald the imminent return of our Lord and prepare to meet Him. So, the everlasting gospel is an end-time gospel. It is present truth to the generation that is living at the time of Christ's appearing. And its focus is on God, to whom worship and obedience is due. So the last generation of people who will give glory to him is during a specific time before the closing work of God um, in the time of the judgment. Right, okay. Um, can we go to Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, please? Okay, okay. Mark chapter 1 and verse 1, just so that we can break this down for the people. Okay. Because some don't even know um, what the gospel is, you see, um, through scripture. And um, so, Mark chapter 1, verse 1. Okay, we're there. Yeah, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. See, and so it makes us know what the what the gospel is. It's of Jesus Christ, mm. the Son of God. So He is the theme of the gospel. And Amen. Um, yes, and Elder Chris, um, can I read one more verse? Yes, 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 and, yes, and, yes, I, yes. and, I'll, and I'll hand over to you because okay. I know this is your favorite subject. Mm. So I don't want to interject too much. Oh no, no, um, no! This is so, an important point. Um, so Romans chapter one and verse sixteen. Okay. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. 
For it says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now, here we see it says, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And as we see there, it's to everyone that believeth. That that power is not received if you don't believe in it. To the Jew first and to the Greek. And so, Brother Chris, Elder Chris, I'm going to hand over to you as from this point. And as John has highlighted, the essence that radiates from this message to the world is the fullness of Jesus Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And like you said, this message calls, it's a warning to the last generation to receive Jesus Christ. You know, to as many as received him, to them gave you power to become, what? The sons of God. And this is a message you know, and this is ties directly with what you just said, John. Ties directly to Christ's message to the disciples. He puts it that what you just said yes. in context to the end time. You see, the everlasting gospel, which goes to the whole world, is the same gospel that Jesus alluded to when answering the disciples' question on Mount of Olives concerning the events just prior to his second coming. You know, the disciples asked Christ, "Who? Sh- what shall be the sign of thy coming in the end of the world?" And in Matthew 24, 14, if you turn there, yes. we hear Jesus reply, Matthew 24, um, 14. And Jesus says, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Yes. So the proclamation of this gospel of the kingdom, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, in all the words, the first sign of the second coming of Christ at the end of the world. So the everlasting gospel, like I said, is an end-time gospel, a gospel that prepares a people to meet the Lord when he appears in the clouds of glory, preparing them to live with him through eternity. Yes. And the gospel which Jesus is referring to is explained in the message of these three angels. There's no other gospel in the Bible which is said to go to every nation, kindred, and tongue of people prior to the return of Jesus. So it's not a new gospel. It's the only true gospel. For the message of salvation has been preached in all ages. However, the first, second, and third angel has specific features which are relevant to the generation that it applies to, to those living at the close of uh, Christ's uh, ministry in heaven. So we find in the three angels' message the most prominent features of the gospel from the beginning of time. So therefore, because it's so prominent, it features, uh, highlights uh, the gospel, it also identifies counterfeit Christianity. All false gospels are exposed in light of these messages. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And then, like you said, John, the key note of the gospel, the power of God, which is supposed to radiate throughout the earth. And this is the, Paul takes that thought that you said in Ephesians 3, 17 and 19. If you turn there, and this yes. is the gospel, this is the gospel presentation that Paul, the apostle, many of the disciples, and even Christ taught. And he said this. That Christ dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and depth and height, and to know that ye might be filled with the fullness of God. 
You see, the gospel not only forgives, it renews, it transforms, and restores man to God's original purpose in his creation. Yes, I'm into that, um, Elder Chris. And um, I just would like to share one more text, because this, and okay. if I move on, just again, just to, um, to give extra added biblical evidence to all that we're sharing with you listeners okay. tonight. That's Romans chapter 10 and verse 15. And you'll see the reason why I'm sharing this in t- to complement, because the word of God complements itself. Amen. There's no contradiction. Because I believe that Elder Chris and myself should make this point absolutely clear what the gospel is and its content. Um, Romans chapter 10 and verse 15. It says here, And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel notice of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. So the Bible reveals that the gospel is a message of peace and of glad tidings. It's a joy to know that God wants to make peace with us, sinful human beings, that he wants to give us good things. And so, you see, I mentioned this other Chris because, you know, many people... All they're doing is preaching fire and judgment or people just are preaching to get money or, you know, they're not thinking about, mm-hmm. you know, there are many who are selfishly preaching the gospel, but those who are truly servants of God, they're carrying a message to bring peace and and happiness, the peace of God and the happiness. And as you said, you know, God's God is seeking to restore human beings back into his image. So that's what I just Amen. wanted to... And- Yes, come on. And, and to that point, you just said, John, Titus uh, chapter 2, 13, 14, kind of closes what you're saying. He's saying, if those are going to be looking for the coming of Jesus, you know, he says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God in our Savior, Jesus Christ, yes. we would expect and we would think that all Christians, all ministers to this end, not only are looking toward the sin, but studying or praying and they're working toward the sin to be, prepare a people. And he says here, yes. you know, who gave himself for us, I mean, we're talking about the gospel here, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. You know, those good works is serving others. Yes, I'm into that. With a true heart. Yes. And that now moves us on to the next question. What does it mean to fear God? What does the Bible teach us about this? Again, we go to your point, John, that you said earlier when you shared Romans 1, uh, verse 1. You know, we need to repeat this, that there's only one avenue to salvation. It comes through the death, resurrection, and high uh, priestly ministry of Jesus Christ. We know, we read it before, Acts 4.12. The Bible says, neither is there any salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, when you compare this with Romans 5.17, we have, like you mentioned, the gospel, the purity of the gospel. And Revelation, I mean, sorry, Romans chapter 5 and verse uh, 17. The Bible says this, For if one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace, here's the gift of righteousness, the abundance of grace, and the sacrifice of Christ, and of the gift of righteousness, shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. You see, the gospel that saves comes only through Jesus Christ. 
His abundant grace and the gift of righteousness brings eternal life. And that message is tied closely to the meaning if we're trying to identify what does it mean to fear God. We cannot understand fearing God unless we receive Christ as a personal Savior. If you look at, um, and this is made clear to the even the Israel, ancient Israel, if you go to First Chronicles and chapter 16, right. First Chronicles chapter 16, uh, 29 to 30, the Bible says this, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Notice what he says, how, do you, how are we going to do this? Bring an offering and come before him. Right. Worship the Lord, how? In the beauty of his holiness. And then notice those words. Fear before him all the earth. The world also shall be stable that it will not be moved. So the children of Israel were instructed as to how they were to worship God, how they were to give glory to God. They must first bring an offering. Salvation, again, can only come through Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who shed his blood for our sins, who forgives us of our sins and empowers us to live holy lives. This is what it means to worship. Worship means to honor and give reverence to God. How is this done? but through the beauty of his holiness, which he teaches. So his holiness what? is imputed, but also imparted. It's the imparted righteousness of Christ. And this is the gift of righteousness. Christ clothes, uh, when, he, we, he, when we come to Christ, he accepts what? us. And his plan, his work, the plan of redemption starts beginning to work in that individual who receives Christ. Right. And okay, this is the wonderful Chris. message. Right. Yeah, so... You know, um, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Okay. Bearing those points in mind. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 13. Okay. Okay, there. Yeah, I'm yeah. here. It says here, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. See? And so... Adding this on to um, what the Elder Christus mm. has, has, has said, and plain and quite simply, the Bible states, to fear God is to keep his commandments, for this is exactly. the whole duty. And obviously, if one keeps God's commandments through his power, then one will, um, will reflect his holiness. So Amen. men were made to be obedient to God's word. And this shows love and respect towards the Creator. That word fear does it's it's it means it's really to respect, just as 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 Amen. a father as a child would respect of his his parents if he loves them, and out of respect mm. for them will be obedient. So God wants us to do the same. And there's just um, one more text again I'd like to share again to um, as we're discussing this this evening with Elder Chris, Exodus chapter eighteen and verse twenty one. Because the Bible okay, gives us yeah, here. a picture. Okay. As we study line by line, precept by precept. Now, look at this. It says that, Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, 
rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And so here we see again another aspect from the scripture to fear God means to be a man of truth and to hate covetousness. It's to live honestly and unselfishly in the sight of heaven. All of these are divine attributes and again are the fruit of, of, of holiness, which is um, you know, God's 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 character. So Amen. Elder Chris, I don't know if you've got anything more to add to Yes. This. Just what just to um, add to your point, yes. uh, it's really clear. In a time when there's unprecedented wickedness, when God's law has been trampled underfoot, this message is repeated in the first angel's message, that is to resound to the ends of the earth. As the final events of earth's history comes to close, fear God. While to many, this has a negative connotation, connotation you know, right. expressing strong emotion, such as terror or apprehension or fear or afraid. But it also means reverence and respect. However, in context to the first angel, it means, like you said, absolute dependence and obedience to God. And we read this in, um, and to close this point almost, in Deuteronomy 10, 12 to 13. If you turn that to Deuteronomy 10, yes. 12 to 13. Listen to the message to ancient Israel. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord thy God require of thee? Notice the words. But to fear the Lord thy God. And notice what it means to fear the Lord thy God. To walk in all his ways and to love him and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul. To keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. So when yes. we walk in all his ways and love him with all our hearts and serve him with our heart and soul, and we keep his commands and statutes, we may be said that we are part of those that fear God. Amen to that, Elder Chris. Well, time is moving on. And um, now, what does it mean to give glory to God? And again, we briefly touched this in that meaning of fearing God, but when addressing this question, the glory of God is simply, if you st- in the scriptures, God's character. Notice again, we repeat, when we said there is no other name given among men to be saved than in Jesus Christ, we must bring the offering. And we read this in um, Psalms, if you turn yes, to Psalms 62-7. Notice what the, the psalmist says. He says, in God is my salvation and what? my glory right thus the source of glory is christ himself he alone can provide the glory but we must come to him we must receive him we must accept his salvation you know we must um come before him what are we to bring well david then clarifies his the meaning of this um uh that god is his salvation his glory we find the interpretation of the meaning of this in um Psalms 51, 16 to 17, when we come to God, how does God accept us? Well, the Bible tells us in Psalms 51, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Now, in relation to this point, as you said, little by little, we study other passages of Scripture to get the full meaning. The apostle to the Gentiles understood this promise when he explained this glory that is found in accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In Colossians 1.27, he said this, To whom 
God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Yes. Now, Elder Chris, if you don't mind, let's pause here because Mm -hmm. we've said quite a lot in a short Mm -hmm. space of time, and I think it's good to now basically recap, basically, that um, in essence, we've seen thus far, listeners, that an angel is symbolic of Bible prophecy of someone that's a servant of God, someone that's sent by him to give a message to the people. And we see that the everlasting gospel, that this message, so that this angel has been sent to give, Mm -hmm. that this everlasting gospel is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that this everlasting gospel is a message of peace calling human beings sinners to repentance and to receive salvation in jesus christ and this this angel that is sent the messengers that are sent with with this message from god that they are calling people in essence god's church back to obedience to fear god and to keep his commandments and there's more you see not only is the angel calling people back to obedience, but it's explaining how people are to um, be obedient, what they're to do, what is the fruit of obedience, which is to give glory to God. So Amen. that's just to make it simple for those who have never looked at this message before, and that's just to recap, because we don't want to go too fast, but we want to take our time Amen. and make this point absolutely clear. So let's just round off now on what it means to give glory to God. Um, and you got one or two yeah. more points, please? Yes. So when you said, um, when we receive Christ, we become his child, his son, daughter, and receive the power, receive the gospel in our lives, it changes us. And the change that comes over us, the Bible says, is that we receive the divine character. The divine imprint of Christ's own life becomes our life. Now that life, when Christ is living in our hearts, that's going to shine toward others who have yet to understand the goodness and grace. And this is why in Matthew 5, 16, we read this scripture, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. So God has called us to glorify him in all that we do. And this is a point that I want to say it is very practical. It's not theoretical. Yes. It's very practical because we know that if we are to give glory to God, we must give God glory in everything we do eat. This is what the Bible says, even in our own diet. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Yes. And so you see, listeners, this first angel is calling people to repentance and to glorify God by doing good works. It's as simple as that. And the good works that they do is not through their own strength. And um, I'd just like to share Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 2. Excuse me. Isaiah chapter 60 and verses 1 to 2. Because as I was looking at this, the Lord had placed it Mm -hmm. upon my heart to share this to make people realize. Because many people believe that they have good within them. Mm, and that of okay. themselves, you know, that they can do righteousness. 
you see, that they have the power within themselves to do good, righteousness by works. But look at what it says in Isaiah okay. chapter 60, verses 1 to 2. Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 2, it states, Arise, shine. Now look, it says, For thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. So the Amen. light of the individuals mentioned is the glory of the Lord. Amen. See, which is, as you know, his, 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 his personal presence, his character, his love in their hearts, his spirit in them. For behold, Amen. the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But again, the scriptures make it clear, but the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. So Amen. here we see clarified that when the Lord asks us to shine for him, and to do good works to him, it is through his light, his life, his power that we are to do this. We cannot Amen. do good works of ourselves. So um, I'd just like to round this question off in saying this. The first angel is calling God's people to devote themselves to him and to let his love flow out of their lives in good works towards others. This is done Amen. through the power of the divine spirit within their hearts and moving them to obedience to God's commandments. Amen. So, Elder Chris, we must move on now to um, the last question for this evening. What does it mean that the hour of God's judgment has come? Why does this message conclude uh, this point with this point? Okay. You know, the logical steps in this message, you know, the everlasting gospel to fearing God and third, giving glory to him, leads to an important truth of the gospel that has been neglected by Christendom. And that gives us the setting and the urgency, the importance of these messages that are to be proclaimed to, to the world before Christ comes, is that the judgment has commenced. So in yes. the first angel's message, we're appointed to a significant event, that the hour of his judgment has come. You know, when Paul preached the gospel, he looked forward yes. to the judgment. We're told that in Acts 24, 25. And he reasoned of what we've been talking about, righteousness, temperance, and he mentioned judgment to come. Now, the message of the three angels, or the last message of mercy that goes to the world, declares that the hour of God's judgment has come. Yes. Therefore, the first angel gives us a significant time when this message was to be, was to be announced at the commencement of the judgment. And I believe that um, you might have done a study already or a presentation on the judgment, the historical. Yes. Um, so that I think either it's going to be coming or you've already done the whole message on that. I don't know what presentation has been put on that. But there's a lot here that we cannot present in the, the next 10, 15 yes. minutes on the judgment. But one thing we do know, we want our listeners to know, that the judgment has commenced. And it commenced in October 22, 1844. But notice something important in that chapter 14 of Revelation. If you read verse 13 and 15, and this is what we need to understand about the judgment. Okay, we see that the proclamation of the three angels first, we see that gone through the whole world. And right. soon after this, we see the Son of Man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle appear in a white cloud. The crown, you know, the crown represents his kingship and the sharp sickle represents the harvest at the end of the world so the three angels meshes are given before the second coming of christ to prepare people for the harvest now the hour of his judgment is an allocated time for mankind to 
receive the gospel, as you said, John, to repent and prepare for the second coming of Jesus. At his coming, Christ will have already made the decision of who is to compromise the saved. You know, we read in Revelation 22, 11, 12. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Yes. Now, so Christ, yes. oh, go on, what are you going to say? Yes, no, carry on, um, finish the point, Elder Chris, and I'd just like to I'm share this with the audience. Okay, Christ's coming settles the fact that an investigative judgment has already commenced and finished, and that the final destiny of every individual born on this earth has been decided, since he brings the rewards with him when he comes. Therefore, the judgment must have already taken place. Yes. Now, listeners, hear what Elder Chris has stated, and I'd like to point you back to previous shows, you see, because we had covered the Antichrist with Elder Ricardo, and and we went through the, the time when the system would rise in this world. And I'd like to point you to Daniel chapter 7 and verses 8 to 10, because we went through this before, and because here you'll see what the Bible states. We're looking at the time frame of when the judgment was to come. Now, it says Daniel chapter 7, verses 8 to 10. It says, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man, and the mouth speaking great things. And as we studied in the previous shows, this little horn was symbolic of the Antichrist system, the system that's basically that's headed out by the papacy, as we studied before. Now look, and it says here, so this is the time of the time when the little horn was arisen. I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. Now look, listeners, remember, this is the time of the Antichrist system. It says, a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousands, thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Then it states, the judgment was set, and the books were opened. So you see, so here we see the time frame of the judgment. The Bible explains it to us that the prophet Daniel was shown that the judgment would sit in the time that the little horn would rule upon the earth. Thus it would happen during the reign of the Antichrist system or during the time that the papacy would rule upon this earth as we studied previously. Because there's a timeline in the book of Revelation, the proclamation of the judgment to the world given by God's servants is symbolized by the angel of Revelation 14.6. It comes after the rise of the papacy and also, as we'll study in future shows, after the rise of the two-horned beast, a major Amen. political power that would come into the world in a remote place after the papacy. And so, Amen. God lets us know when events in heaven and world events will take place. Both Daniel and Revelation agreed that the judgment would sit in heaven during the time that the papacy ruled upon this earth. 
and after the two horned beast came into action as a power politically so i just wanted to share that you see so that um the listeners can go back to previous shows and that they can cross-reference to state that when you mentioned the date 1844 so that it's not just a date that's just um, come out from the blue and um there's just one more thing i'd like to say elder chris about this if you don't mind okay Um, yes which is again um when we go to the book of Daniel, chapter 8, and verse 14, and it says, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And as we had studied before previously, that the cleansing of the sanctuary, that was the day of judgment, Amen. see, in ancient Israel. And so Daniel was shown when there's the real typical judgment would start. So the antitypical judgment would start, I should say, and so the Bible show, tells us that a time was given to let God's people know when the cleansing of the sanctuary or judgment day would start. This is because the cleansing of the sanctuary was known to be judgment day in Israel. And you can see Leviticus chapter 23, verses 27 to 32. And again, go back to our previous shows when we talk about the sanctuary and, and, the, and, and the judgment. So the Chris... Amen. As you know, there's so yep. much here, but we can only take things one point at a time. Is there Amen. one last point you have before we make yes, some and, music? And to all our listeners, yes, refer back to the um, presentations that have been presented upon this uh, subject so you can know the context, but also know the time of the commencement of the judgment. And then you'll have a more understanding. A lot of Christians are waiting for the judgment or or believing that the judgment will happen after Christ appears. But we need to understand from Scripture, be able to explain it from the Bible, not only the events and the, 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 the prayers, like you mentioned, the papacy and the, the times. This is all written for our learning, for us yes. to understand. Yes. So we can understand the context of why this message is being given to the world. Yes. And again, I just want to fit in... Um, Listeners, if you look at the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verses 23 to 27, here you'll see that God did not leave his people to guess when the 2300-day prophecy would start and end. This is where the angel Gabriel had let the prophet Daniel know what event would be at the start of the prophecy. And it would be at the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem. And this can be found in the book of Ezra. Once one knows the date of this, then all the events that Angel Gabriel listed would take place within that time frame. And again, just because this is so important, because it's so important that listeners, you understand that we're not just making our own conclusions here. I'll just share this text before we go to a musical break. Ezra chapter 4 and verse 14. This is, it tells us when the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem took place and what event starts the 2300-day prophecy, which leads you to conclude when the judgment would start. Amen. And it says here, Ezra chapter 4 and verse 14, that the elders of the Jews builded, and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. And they builded and finished it, this was Jerusalem, according to the commandment, notice singular, of the God of Israel, According, and according to the commandment of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. So the angel Gabriel pointed Daniel to this event. That event would be the start of the 2300-year prophecy. 
And history Amen. records through at least three ancient calendars that this commandment was fully decreed by three kings in the year 457 BC. And if you count 2,300 years from this date, this takes us down to the date that the judgment in heaven would start, that year being 1844. So this rounds up um, the discussion thus far this evening. And let us now have a break for some music. this land and everywhere I go people's hearts are filled with fear for a future they don't know they don't seem to understand there's only one way to place their lives in Jesus us hands and come to him today I want them to meet Jesus he's a friend above all friends he'll never forsake them his love knows no end no matter what they've to save them from their sin are you secure in the life that you live or are you lost and confused you search and struggle for that peace of mind and you don't know what to do let me introduce you Just 
First angel's message, given in Revelation chapter 14. Elder Chris, final thoughts for this discussion this evening, please. As um, we've, um, like John has alluded, and we have alluded to make, you know, if you would like for further study or to have a greater understanding of these, this message, review or preview the presentations beforehand so you can get a fuller picture of the importance of the, these three angels message but in in closing you know there's a scripture i want to um to highlight in matthew twenty two fourteen, and it goes around with this message of fearing god give glory to our, to him for the hour of his judgment has come in the parable you'll find the parable of the wedding garment and this is a parable that we all should study now it was seen that some did not have the wedding garment uh, and then if you read the scripture the message God, the master or the king had given a message to his servants to go and provide guests to the marriage feast. The first, the message was refused. And secondly, the second time they went out, the servants were killed. A third time he sent out his servants to bring guests to the wedding, both bad and good. Now the wedding was furnished with guests. But when the king came to the feast, he found a man which had not the wedding garment. The man was speechless, the Bible says. There was no excuse. The wedding attire had freely been given, freely purchased for the guest. But this guest had refused to wear it. Likewise, in the proclamation of the everlasting gospel, to fear and give glory to his name, uh, to accept the gift of righteousness, continues to this day to be refused. There was an investigation as to who was worthy to receive the king. You know, the judgment has commenced. It challenges every believer. It reveals the evidence of whether the believer has been loyal to God or whether he has acknowledged his sins, confessed them, repented of them, and allowed the power of God to dwell in them, to gain that victory over them, or whether the life reveals one of continuing disobedience to God. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes twelve fourteen, Fear God, for God shall bring every work into judgment, every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Praise God that Christ has been given is the judge. We may come to the judgment having received Christ, having received the power, having received his life, and stand before him in his purity and in his love. Yes. Well, 
Elder Chris, shall we pray now to close this discussion this evening? Amen. Would you like me to pray or are you praying, yes. John? Can you pray to close, please? Gracious Heavenly Father, what a wonderful message. A message that is to prepare our people to, to be ready when you come in the clouds of glory. The messages are clear. They're pointed. They direct us to study the history of the church, the history of the movements of nations to the time we're living today. A message that invites all to come and receive Jesus Christ. When we receive Jesus Christ, we will give glory. The character of God will be revealed in us so that that light may shine forth to others who are longing to know and be ready to know the truth and but be ready to receive you when you comes in the when you Jesus comes in the clouds of glory. Bless this ministry. We pray that all our hearers will take what we've shared and take their Bibles and study them to see whether what has been said is according to the truth and therefore then receive it and move with the fear of God. Bless John and bless this ministry, pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Elder Chris, thank you for joining us on Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio. Listeners, if you have any questions or if you'd like more information, please send an email to inquiries at wildernesspublications.org. You can send a text message to 07944062786. If you live in the United Kingdom, please contact us with your name and address, and we will send you a free bookmark called The First Angel's Message. If you have the Android app for Voice in the Wilderness Internet Radio, go to the ebook section, then find the title Bible Readings for the Home. At chapter 50, you will find the subject, The First Angel's Message. This chapter will give you more information about today's topic. You can also listen to and download our radio show podcast at https colon forward slash forward slash voice dash in dash z dash wilderness dot podcast page dot io. On next week's show, we will continue to discuss the subject, the first angel's message. Well, that's it for tonight's show. Until next week, good night and God bless. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week. It's not just knowing about the doctrine in the Bible. That is not what we stand for here. Streaming powerful, biblically-based messages. I am this congregation may never be gathered together again as we see it. Voice in the Wilderness, Internet Radio. Enlightening the world every week.